As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi folks, you're listening to the Paranormal Peep Show with myself, Andy Chaplin, and our fantastic host, uh, Neil Geddes-Ward. Neil, how have you been in lockdown? Uh, even more fantastic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I've been fantastically busy. It's a really strange thing. But I'm finding myself with so many different projects, and I wish I had about 10 pairs of hands to juggle them. So I am kind of, yeah, really, really busy, but in in a way that I can really enjoy being busy because i hate not being able to do stuff so i'm actually getting my head around into lots of projects and things which the lockdown um you know in a way i'm kind of grateful for it in a way but i know it, it it's not good for a lot of people i can understand that as well how are you yeah, I mean, I'm in a similar situation. So uh, my big thing at the moment is website coding. So my head is just full of code. Uh, it's nice to have a bit of a break, actually, and do the show. <laughs> um, and playing chess as well. Uh, I've got I've downloaded a chess app, and a few of my mates are into chess. And uh, it's interesting, because you start off quite rusty. So I, I don't know if you're into chess, Neil, but you start off quite rusty. But the more you play it, the more you kind of get your head around it and then it gets quite fun actually you're retraining those neurons that you kind of let go rusty those years at school and that yeah because i i, I, I used to be in a chess is. club myself years ago at school oh really yeah, yeah. so I, I, I know I think, the rough thing of it but yeah you'll probably beat me hands down i'm sure <laughs> i think it also um it helps with other things as well so chess is obviously very rational it's very logical um, and so is coding and websiting. So, you know, they go hand in hand. And I, I really do think that um, people decline in their older years because they're not using their brains enough. And I think if, if people kept their brains going, I think you'd see a lot less uh, Alzheimer's and, um, you know, kind of uh, degeneration and that kind of thing. 
Yeah. Now I'm wondering if like the, the first signs of Alzheimer's actually come into sort of around our age now, like just being silly and a bit forgetful. Well, what's the name of that bloke <laughs> I spoke to? And you actually start, is this the first sign of something? And in 30 years time, it will really go downhill. So I'm going to start reading chess books, I think, just to keep <laughs> ticking over. But you've been playing. I, I understand you've been playing because I was invited to actually join you guys online. And I just said, sorry, I really haven't got the time. Um, forget his name now. Oh, God. Uh, James, wasn't it? James, that's it. James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been playing him a, a few times. Um, he almost beat me the first time. He was he was uh, swept in quite strongly with a, a bishop and a queen. Um, but since then, I've I've luckily managed to kind of uh, trounce him a little bit. <laughs> so we'll have to have a rematch. Well, that's it. You see, my I, I taught my kids to play chess uh, about ten years ago, and of course, I beat them. But after about three or four games, they really sussed it, and then mm. <laughs> now I struggle trying to beat them. <laughs> It's quite amazing. But as I was teaching my partner how to do chess, because she's, she's got a fantastic chess set. And about two years ago, I said, come on, I'll teach you how to play chess. So we set up this fantastic kind of Lord of the Rings type chess set or something. It was oh, really, wow. really nice little images. And I beat her. And she said, oh, I hate that. I said, Bird, but the thing is, you've got to learn to lose in mm. order to be able to learn to win. Because if you don't know why you're losing, yeah. how can you ever learn to win and overcome it, you see? So you've learn. got to learn lose a few games to then you know, work out the strategy of, the, ah, you're thinking ahead. I know where he's going to go with that piece or something, you see? Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, and again, so yeah, this, you're right. This this is why this is why this actually helps with um, websiting because um, I actually have a graphic design background. I don't have a computer technology or IT background, so I'm arty farty creative, trying to learn how to code logically. And and weirdly, chess you have to kind of think several moves ahead, and with coding you have to think about several different things going going on at the same time with JavaScript and CSS and all that kind of. Gubbin, so yeah. So, so you dreaming of weird numbers floating through your head, like the Matrix titles. Well, I tell you what, I have I have dreamt of chess games uh, because sometimes I'll play kind of three or four games straight in an evening, just kind of on sat back on the sofa with my mobile um, and just playing chess, watching BBC News. Um, so yeah, I've I've had some dreams where I'm playing chess and I've woken up and it's just like oh. That's uh, almost about to finish a move then, <laughs> and it doesn't that, exist. That, that's interesting because it's like chess is a very conscious thinking mind game isn't it mm. but there it is being represented in the subconscious of your dreams it's like your subconscious has grabbed it and is representing it to you it's like oh what's going on there then why is it giving me that you know mm. that's, that's yeah. a bit strange I've also, I've also found dreams uh do that in other ways as well so uh the early morning there was a drill going off outside someone with a pneumatic drill and I, I can't remember how it was incorporated in my dream but it got incorporated um and uh, a few years ago when i had a lot of muscle pains and uh, joint pains i had something called palindromic rheumatism which is horrendous um now gone thankfully but when i when i was getting pains i used to dream of wasps attacking or dogs biting and then I'd wake up and I'd be in severe pain. So it's obviously my mind kind of interpreting pain and kind of almost giving a reason for it or, or what it thinks is a reason within a, a dream state. Very strange. Mm. So it all comes down to skills of interpretation and what it means and how the brain or the mind is processing it, mm. which segues quite nicely into our guest. Someone <laughs> who presumably would have to work of interpretation of phenomena. Uh, paranormal phenomena, of course. And, and that's the thing with paranormal investigators. We're all having to try and interpret things that you might encounter and try and wonder what it is. So without further ado, then, if I can introduce us to Kate Ray. Are you there, Kate? I am, yes. Hello, guys. 
Hi, Kate. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Andy. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good. Do you play Kate? Um, do you play chess, Kate, or do you know how to play it? I wish I did. It's one of those uh, one of those things that I never got around to. I was a draft player at school, um, champion <laughs> draft player. Not not so much to uh, chess standard. So I guess as a paranormal investigator, you're encountering kind of a few more drafts than you anticipate. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly do. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about yourself, Kate. Um, you're a paranormal investigator. You play drafts. What else? So um, I have seemed to have got into with the paranormal investigation, drawing on. Uh, sort of a historic passion of mine, really, and I've been sort of drawn into the Fey world with the with the paranormal. Uh, seem to have been uh, marked quite recently as uh, a fairy expert within within hauntings. Uh, not quite sure how it came about, but um, that's where I seem to be at right now. So you started off presumably going through the traditional route, going to a haunted house, listening for creaks, bumps and ghostly chains or wherever it might be, maybe recording it or trying to tune in. How does the fairy world come into that kind of thing? Um, probably more easy than, than you'd expect. Um, so I was going in and, and as I was training myself up with psychic development and sort of doing remote viewing on buildings, I was coming across these creatures that were non-human sort of energetically and they were showing me things that were um, occurring within properties that would be traditionally put down to I don't know demonic um, entities or you know the sort of the badder side of of, um, ghost hauntings and and they weren't at all and it took me a while to get my head around what these things were um, and start opening up to communication and they became something that um, I find easier to I suppose psychically find within buildings and um, they're, they're a lot easier for me to pick up than than the spirits of the dead within buildings and it, it just it was just happenstance really that 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 came about for me so you saw you, you're saying that you're, you're you're tuning in and they're in buildings now most people when you talk about fairies they think of old oh, fairies at the end of the garden or mm-hmm. in a woodland setting yeah so you're actually picking them up in buildings as well yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can tune into them within natural settings, but they tend to be um, different varieties, let's say, within those settings, within buildings that are haunted and have a negative energy or something that's called uh, sick building syndrome. You get these sort of negative fake presence that I don't know. I don't know whether yet that they are drawn to those energies in the first place and that's why they reside there or whether they were there first and then draw in sort of negative energies from that. But there seems to be this correlation between, you know, um, negative atmospheres within buildings. And and it is quite a regular occurrence that I'm picking this up. And it's not just me. There are other people around and about that can sort of, you know, help me verify things that um, that are occurring. Because a lot of folklore, um, isn't it, to do with uh, fairies, tends to be on the negative side. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot, of, I mean, kind of most, if you, if you take a kind of Disney um, view of fairies, it's all very kind of Tinkerbell and very happy and glittery and sparkly and, you know, nice little fluttery uh, wings and that kind of thing. But in actual fact, I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, in English folklore, they're actually something to be avoided. They're, mm-hmm. they're there's a thing of, of inviting you, enticing you into the woods, and then making you go to sleep and, you know, eating the poison apple and all that kind of thing. Um, what, what's your view on kind of like the, whether they're positive or negative, or maybe they're a bit of both? I think there's a full full spectrum in the way, the way that I've encountered them in the past has been, um, has been a full rainbow, really. And you have as many um, malevolent as benevolent. Um, and that, there seems to be, you know, um, uh, 
an equal amount of, of both from from my understanding. Um, but you're right about the history. Um, you know, it was only recently with the Victorian era that we started seeing them in a very different way. Um, and these, you know, like you say about the Disney, the kind of sexualized Tinkerbelly types with the boobs hanging out and the short skirts. It's <laughs> it's not how I see them. Let, let me tell you. You know, the um, I, I don't think I've ever seen one like that. That's Baywatch Fairy, that is. <laughs> it is Baywatch Fairy, yeah. <laughs> so Andy, you're, you're going to say something. Yeah, go Yeah, for it. you're saying that so there was a, a misidentification um, between kind of demonic activity and fairy-like activity. So could, would you be able to separate the two? Like what would, what, for instance, what would be a, a typical fairy-type activity to do versus uh, a demonic-type activity to do? I think the the um, the yoke and the white for me comes down to your uh, religious background and understanding of what's going off. Um, I mean, I've done I've done a hell of a lot of research and thinking about um, sort of what demonics are and where they where they fall within a spectrum. And I do believe that that, that there are certain kinds of those kind of forces which do fall within the fae. So they do present themselves in the way that. Um, you know, by pinching, biting, waking people up, entering people's dreams, generally making sort of a nuisance of themselves. Mm-hmm. Right into, you know, succubus and incubus were once thought of as the fae. You know, they, these were entities that weren't separate from the fae world. Um, and it, like I say, it's only recently when these things have become separate. And I think that that is to do with religious interpretation, um, you know, to give us good warning about, I suppose, um, interaction, in, interacting with these these things what um kind of feelings you get when you for instance tune in to a person that's passed over uh, as against to a fairy being that you might be encountering in a building is there a difference that you can definitely say oh yeah i've got definitely a fae being here or does it take a little bit of time to to work that out um very much almost instantly when i get a lock on a building it's um i'm a visual um i I visually scan um so i I can see these these things and um yeah it's it's kind of an instant an instant visual recognition and it's then sort of uh it's dig a little deeper and then you can start having I suppose some kind of conversation with them or some kind of interaction with them where you can ask them why they're there or, you know, uh, why they're doing what they're doing. Um, In the same way that you would communicate with um, those who have passed over, I actually find, uh, you know, people who are deceased, I I find them quite difficult in terms of of getting um, straight answers out of them. But um, fairies are a little more straightforward. And I think they're they're just very honest in uh, you ask them a question. They're quite honest in in their comeback with things. Do you think they're a completely different species? I mean, mean, are they even related to Earth or do you think they're interdimensional? I think they're interdimensional. But my feeling is that they're the first they're the first sort of dimensional layer beyond our own. So they're the closest energetic um, to our own being. Um, and, and that's why they can traverse. And I think that for me boils down to the fact that they all have jobs within the material realm, um, which gives them a, a, an instant connection with our world. You know, um, they all have specific tasks within our energetic world. It's just that they're not in the in their right material. Um, they're, they're not sort of um, solid beings. Um, but I, th- I think the closer, um, the most internet, uh, interdimensional beings. Hmm. Uh, haven't, haven't they been furloughed at all? <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately not. No, <laughs> they don't get a break. <laughs> no. 
So when you say they've got jobs within this world, what kind of jobs are we talking about? I mean, you, you sort of your nature spirits are the ones that will um, that will look after uh, natural places. Um, I mean, we've all heard stories about uh, places where people don't go because of the fae, and places where um, can't be you know that can't be built on. There's numerous cases within Ireland where. Uh, you know, roads can't be built because there's fairy trees or fairy mounds. You know, we, we are absolutely steeped in the in the UK with with stories of that going on. And part of their job is to be custodians of of um, of sacred and natural places. So I suppose they're you, you sort of your nicer end of of the fairies. I have come across some some entities within that realm that have. Um, uh, really ancient uh, jobs of, of looking after deep within the earth. Um, uh, they're pretty pretty difficult to um, to call out and communicate with. Um, they, they're kind of further away from understanding human beings and, and our existence. So there is, like us, there is a range of jobs, but they do it because it's within their nature. Um, they don't do it because it's a job job. Um, it's just <clears throat> it's just what they do and how they exist. Mm. Now, when you see them uh, and you say you can sit, spot them straight off, mm-hmm. uh, are they aware of you or do you have to tune into them and they have to tune into us? Um, as soon as I tune in, uh, the majority of the time, they are very much aware. I think there's something when you are um, deliberately tuning in that uh, that your energy uh, becomes sort of a beacon for them so they, they can kind of spot you. Um they quite like it a lot of the time. They quite like uh, that recognition a lot of the time. And um, a lot of the time when I've come across, um, I think the, the word that's being abandoned around at the minute in the paranormal community is imps. That's, that's a biggie hmm. within the community right now. I don't think they're all imps, but I think that that's a good description of what I'm coming across. And um, basically, um, I recently described them as um, toddlers with ADHD. You know, <laughs> they want attention. And if they're not going to get attention, they'll do pretty much anything to get that. So once you tune into them and you get a sort of lock on them, they're, they're quite um, they're quite happy to have that interaction, although they can still be quite naughty uh, with you. But, yeah, they're quite happy with that. And what kind of thing when you go there and, and you know, you lock onto them and you're aware of what they are? Uh, and presumably, uh, I don't know. I mean, you could just start thinking, okay, I'm going to going to concentrate on the fairies now. I'm not. I'm going to ignore any ghosts or dead people here. I'm just going to communicate with the fairies. Um, what sort of dialogue do you get with them? What sort of thing are they trying to tell you? I mean, for me, what, what I tend to do is I will do a, re- a remote reading on a building um, or a specific location. Um, I'll do a walk around where I'll just double check and verify uh, things that I've seen um, and lock into any kind of energies. And then I completely close off and I go into paranormal investigator mode. So I, I kind of um, I'm trying to get evidence. That's that's basically what I'm there for. So in terms of communi- communication, it's the, the basic stuff that you do on ghost hunting uh, because it's that evidence stuff that you're after the kind of communication that i do get um with them is um i would say the majority of the time i've come across three different reasons why um why fey haunt um and uh one, the first one is um because in some way they feel they have been wronged um i did a case where uh, a tree had been felled 
um, and a, a house was being sort of bombarded with poltergeist type activity um, and it was actually a custodian of, of, of a tree that had come into the house and he was you know particularly pissed off with his family and um, and, and t- took in a hissy fit really uh, so that's one of the reasons another reason that I've come across in uh, the last few years has been um, sort of an ancestral thing so um uh, it's been grandparents or great grandparents that have done something um to to um disrespect the fae and it's kind of carried on through a, a bloodline and then i mentioned earlier about um you know houses having negative energies and they tend to attract um they tra- tend to attract because of that um, lower vibrational levels they tend to attract these kind of entities within the house so when they're a bit kind of they've got an axe to grind uh, against a family or um, people that have cut down their tree, how do you rectify that? Because obviously you can't bring a tree back for someone. Um, no, but um, I mean, that that comes as part of the communication. And I do ask families to, to take part in that as well. And I mean, it's a bit of a, an elimination game, really, about how you how I don't like the word appease. I, I, I actually like the word of working with. Um, you become uh, aware to start off with and it can be a whole series of the classic stuff you know um, leaving milk and honey is a a classic folklore thing and that can be as simple as with the tree um, situation come across that a couple of times and it has been simply you know getting the family to go out and plant another one um, and sort of you know pass over that that um, that roll back to to that entity uh, to try and sort of rectify that relationship it doesn't work overnight sometimes it only works for a short amount of time you have to go back to the drawing board on on what to do um, it depends the severity of, of what's occurred um, and um, how long uh, you know how long things have been going on to to how you you rectify the situation. I am really wary though about giving out advice um, about how to do it because the Fae don't particularly like that happening. Um, a lot of people ask me, how do you banish them? How do you get rid of them? And um, that in itself can be hugely problematic. They they don't um, they don't like people knowing those things they don't like human beings knowing um the lots of uh, little tricks and and whatnot that you can do to to get rid isn't it metal or something or uh, iron or something it's iron yeah it's iron and yeah. um, i've been trying to dig down to the history of that and the one thing that i keep coming across um i'm going to do some more digging on it is that iron was seen as um, a metal not from this world um and that somehow connected up with the fairies not liking it um but I'm, i am going to keep digging on on the sort of folklore around iron it's interesting though um <clears throat> i spoke to somebody on friday about it and she was saying that she'd put iron all around her apartment uh, to try and keep what she thought was a, a, a malevolent fae away from sort of doing her any harm. And she'd actually, by doing it, trapped it inside. Um, so she hadn't gone through the appropriate rituals to, to, to get rid of it outside her property. And this thing was particularly mad and kind of upped its game <laughs> because it was now trapped. You know, it was running around wreaking havoc. So you have got to be careful with this kind of thing. Sounds like kryptonite to uh, yeah <laughs> to deal yeah. with. So yeah. so she she thought she was protecting her property against the fairy that was already there anyway. Yes. Yes. So how did I mean what what sort of things was it doing to sort of express the fact that it, it it wanted to get out? 
Um, well, she's, she'd been dealing with this thing for for quite a few years, and I'm sure she won't mind me saying, you know, no names mentioned, but um, there, there had been a ritual that had taken place, um, as she described, with a, with a Wiccan, where they'd opened up a portal and it was specifically calling in the Fae. And for years on and off, she'd had, um, you know, uh, negative interactions with this thing sort of coming in and out of her life. And, and quite re- recently, it had taken to pinching her in her sleep. So she'd wake up being pinched with sort of bruises on, on her. And um, she said that was the worst, but it was uh, physically running around her apartment very much like you would get in a haunting way you can kind of hear footsteps and it's peripheral vision stuff so um yeah i think that was that was uh, pretty classic but she'd had uh, quite a few people verify um you know what it was and what was happening and these were people who weren't related and who'd all sort of told her the, the same thing blimey so she got rid of it in the end then no, still there. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because oh. it was only on Friday when I told her, take the iron away. <laughs> it's not done properly. So, um, yeah, as far as I know, I, I did have a chat with her um, about um, employing it to do a job because um, they do get bored. So she was going to give that a try as well. Ironmonger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she's a writer. And I think um, one of the things that were happening when she stopped writing, it would get particularly uh, agitated. And I said, it obviously yeah, it enjoys your energy when you're writing and enjoys that sort of uh, interaction. Um, so I said to her, you know, just call it out and say, if you're going to if you're going to help me, help me, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, it just remind me of that story. I always loved reading it. It was a ladybird book uh, as a kid where it was the shoemaker and the elves story. Are you familiar with that one? That's a long time ago. Yeah, that's a long, yeah, long time ago. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, just a story. The guy, there was a shoemaker uh, in some, I don't know, Victorian times or maybe even older, um, making shoes and he couldn't understand why all these little shoes were being fixed or something overnight yes yeah that rings a bell yeah that rings a bell and so him and his wife in the story came downstairs to see what was happening in their workshop and they could see these two little elves knocking around with with sewing needles and leather and sorts of and and making the shoes so as a way of thanking them they made these tiny little outfits for them Mm -hmm. and then again they spied on them like the next night in the story and they saw the little elves trying on the clothes all happy (laughs) and they ran off and they never came back again which was a bit of a problem because it means their their sweatshop was now shut <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know thinking about it the fact that those those elves were doing a little job for people you know what you're saying kind of ties in with that a little bit the fact they want a job to do or something yeah the interesting fact about that is and it's something that i read quite a lot is um that uh, the fairies don't like to be thanked um, that you know they they like it's sort of suitable. I don't think payment's the right word, but you know that kind of uh, honouring of them. Respect. But they don't- Respect, respect. Yeah, yeah, definitely respect and honour, but they don't particularly like to be thanked. Um, and you will find stories of people who um, who have thanked them, and actually bad things have happened to them. That's bizarre. So, yeah, what kind of things have happened that's bad to people then that don't do this kind of thing? <laughs> Um, I, I, in, in, in terms of my experience, it has. I'm sorry, my dog's growling here. I'm just going to have to let her out. Mm-hmm. Can you give me two seconds? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Maybe she's seen a fairy. Maybe. Yeah. Yep. Do you have any questions, Andy? Whilst we're um, um, it's just. Have you ever seen a fairy, Neil? No, I felt them. 
You felt I've, yeah, I've done readings on people and suddenly I've tuned in and found like a uh, a small being kind of next to me. And you know when you tune into spirit, you feel something on your right or your left? Mm. Well, I was tuning in, but instead of something to my right and left and kind of feel it's just above me, I was feeling it's down below in my corner somewhere. Okay. And that's where I felt this is not a human energy. I felt that it was definitely a small being type of thing. And, and I did this reading on this guy. I said, look, I feel like I've got something like a gnome or something like that. And mm-hmm. he says, well, it's interesting you say that because a medium has told me that a gnome follows me around. So it kind of verified what I was picking up because I was really surprised. But, you know, I'm thinking, oh, hang on. I haven't got Auntie Ethel or anything like that. It's something that's not, not quite on that wavelength, you know. Well, again, the, um, the gnomes are kind of like uh, folklore. You know, are they good? Are they bad? Are they mischievous? Are they evil? Um, I, I know Simon Parks doesn't like gnomes at all. <laughs> Why does he not like gnomes? Uh, he says they're they're mischievous and they're they're always up to no good. Hmm. Basically, they're they're they they've got a bad energy about them, and he he doesn't like anything gnome related. Interesting, because mm-hmm. as far as I understood, they 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 live well. In fact, yeah, you get these ones that live down in tin mines and and supposedly associated with Cornwall in the southwest of England and they 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 supposedly were warm miners of impending disasters in mines and they'd be called knockers because they'd knock on the wood and stuff um, um yeah of course that could be the structure of the mine just creaking under the you know the shifting ground or something but um mm. yeah all these legends of, of of tin mines with with weird creatures in there and stuff like that um kate are you back with us i am yes sorry about that yeah okay <laughs> so we were just talking andy asked if i tuned in and picked up anything or seen a, a, a gnome or anything like that and i i just saying i saw this gnome or rather felt a gnome in a reading for someone mm-hmm. um, and when i was trying to do a reading normally uh, as clairvoyance and mediums would perhaps recognize this when you feel the spirit around you you can kind of feel them either to your right or your left mm-hmm. and when i've done that i normally feel them to my right or left and they're slightly just above my shoulder or above my head but on this particular occasion this was down in the corner of my left hand side and uh, mm-hmm. that's why i felt as a small being it's very very interesting is that how you perceive them uh sometimes yeah i i i i, I generally feel that um uh, because they're energetic, uh, energetic beings that they don't particularly have uh, a physical size in 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 the sense that that we do. Um, I think that they uh, will project um, and give us a clue of of what kind of uh, person personality that they that they are. So um, you do get this sort of the sylph like uh, fairies that that do sort of flutter around in the air because that's our understanding of them. Or you would get like you say the gnomes that are, that are quite short and um, um, quite stocky little things and sometimes they do sort of give us clues to uh, what their purpose is in the world and um, I came across uh, years ago it was, it was my first physical encounter which um, I didn't tell anybody for about 10 years uh, which I, I saw what I now call a sod um, <laughs> that was that was down at Wayland Smithy um, I was walking down the uh, the way down to uh, Wayland Smithy from from the uh, chalk horse um, I could hear all this kind of I, I can only describe it as singing it sounded a bit like the clangers and lots of rustling in the bottom of the hedges. Uh, eventually sort of made a rugby tackle for the bottom of the hedge. And um, after a few attempts, this I, I actually uh, parted the grass and there was this 
this thing um, that, that looked like a cross between a, a mouse and a, a very tiny man uh, wearing tweed trousers. I mean, can you imagine how mad I must have sounded telling people this? You know, it was like one, one of those things that I thought I'd take to my grave. And um, it very much projected to me the, the, the fact that it lived in that hedgerow and it, its job was to sort of uh, keep the, you know, the peace and order. I've actually recently heard that song again, and it's the first time, you know, since I was 15 years old that um, I was like, oh, wow, you know, I recognise that. And that was uh, walking around the woods this this spring. So, um, yeah, they, they do present in very, very different ways um, and for very different reasons, I think. So you called it a sod? I called it a sod, yeah, because it had that kind of earthy feel, not as in your sod, as in a sod of earth. It had that real... Sodden, sodden soak, soaky, damp, earthy, wet... Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, definitely, definitely. I couldn't put it into a category for you, though. I couldn't say, you know, it was... I started off thinking, is it a gnome? But it didn't fit the gnome uh, sort of profile. But it, you know, because it was above ground and it obviously uh, was dwelling above ground and... So I didn't know really where to put it. So you said it looked like a um, – I've got my dog come out now for a cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> You've got rid of one. I've acquired uh, yeah. one. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Stay, stay there, girl. So anyway, um, yeah. Uh, Are there different types of fae, um, like different species or different kind of uh, – can you get small ones, big ones, medium-sized ones, ones that fly, ones that don't fly? Yeah, again, I think that that comes down to their purpose and how we, we can best perceive them. I mean, um, another encounter that, that I had will kind of put, uh, shed, shed a bit of light of, of this onto me, um, where I actually saw what would, I think, what would be seen as a, a classic fairy. Um, but it was, uh, I'm, I know you're both aware of uh, the work of Brian Froud, but he mm-hmm. does a, a, a series that uh, a fae just made of light. And they're, they're just uh, sort of um, bright, pure, brilliant white light light sort of emitting in the ether um, and I encountered one of these things and it, it, it did make me think of um, you know that that for me it felt like its truest form it felt like um, it, it was kind of coming through into our realm and not a way that it wanted to be seen uh, you know it, it didn't have any human attributes um, so I don't know whether that occurs with them all but i kind of get the sense that 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 does so we are as human beings we are absolutely um compelled by categorizing things and sort of um understanding and studying things and putting them in boxes and i think that they appreciate that in the fact that they put themselves into boxes so that when we have interactions with them we already have a narrative about what they are and um and what their purpose is so i mean i've seen some like I was saying about these earth-dwelling ones that are uh, bigger than a house, they're absolutely huge entities. You know, they are pretty formidable uh, creatures. I came across um, two of those in one year a few years back, um, and they just did not want to know. They did not want to know at all. Uh, But I think that sense of uh, foreboding was definitely put across by their size and whether they can push their energy out and sort of give us that image uh, is something that I haven't really got the answer to, but I'm I'm kind of erring on the side that they do project for for various reasons. A bit like uh, a dog, as as we've got dogs in the vicinity, I might as well use them as an example, when they're trying to big themselves up, all their hair stands on end so they can look much more formidable to a say a cat or something um 
So, so you're saying that perhaps these creatures in a sort of defense mode will, will try and give a wrong impression or a bigger impression just to make you back off in some way. Yeah, I said I, I have um, one of the tree encounters was um, uh, when the uh, the, the uh, energy was when the spirit was looking after the tree it very much it very much resembled uh, attributes of the tree um, and when it was um, when the when the tree had been chopped down and it was it was sort of stomping around the house it. Uh, it looked like a, a little fat thing with a hooked nose. Um, that was that was it was really mad, really really angry, and that's how it was projecting its anger. Um, and I mean, I have this thing about, um, uh, and I've read this in many many accounts where people have actually caught Faye uh, mimicking human behaviour, um, especially when they find something amusing. So if they don't know how to uh, project their own anger into a world in the way that we'd understand, then it's possible that quite possible that they would mimic the sort of um you know the the, the body and the the intonation and the words that that we use in that that instance so it, it's just such a movable feast it's feast it's like mercury it's like you think you get hold of of uh, one aspect and and it just kind of slips through your fingers and and something else will sort of slide in there and you think ah that's what that's what's happening that's what's going off with these things what do you think about what some people think Jacques Vallée, who was, uh, well, still is a UFO uh, researcher, he, he's made a, what he believes is a possible connection between aliens and uh, fairies in the sense of that, you know, you have missing time, uh, you might get abducted by both of them, uh, taken away, you lose memory of the incident and mm-hmm. uh, things are maybe, you know, you're, you're, you're checked over in some way i mean what, what do you think of those sorts of uh, connections there i am an absolutely massive fan of, of uh, cross uh, disciplinary work and research i don't I, I don't understand how um you know as paranormal investigators that we don't get into cryptozoology that we don't get into ufology that we don't get into fairyology because there are so many connectives between them all it's just absolutely glaring it glaringly obvious um and i I do believe that there are massive crossovers uh for whatever reason between uh ufo encounters alien encounters and the world of the fate um it sounds like you need to have a trip to skinwalker ranch oh yes there's blades going off there isn't there yeah i think that would scare the bejesus out and we've been there to be quite fair it is it's quite a weird place Mm. For those that don't know, Andy, do you want to explain what Skinwalker Ranch is for those that might want to take a trip there? Um, well, yeah, actually, I don't know if you're allowed to. I think it's a private property. Um, whether they do tours or not, I don't know. But it's in the UFO and certainly kind of psychic and uh, paranormal world. Skinwalker Ranch in America obviously is a ranch. It's a, it's a working cattle ranch. Um, but it's been an absolute hotbed of paranormal and strange activities. They've had UFO um, activities, uh, men in black, helicopters, poltergeist activity, uh, grey activity, uh, cattle mutilation all sorts of strangeness um and i think it was owned by the shermans a family called the shermans um and then another guy took over and he allowed a tv production company to come in and um i've forgotten what the the host's names are um but there's about i think there's about five or six of them um all very kind of typically american characteristic cowboy hats and all that kind of thing uh, which is fantastic and yeah they do a lot of investigations into what's going on there uh, they've been putting drones up uh, they're getting spikes in terms of radioactive uh, radioactive uh, 
anomalies. Uh, they had uh, an actual cow that uh, didn't, I didn't. I don't think it got mutilated, but it it died of uh, strange causes. I don't think they could work out uh, why it had pneumonia. So apparently, this this cow had pneumonia, but uh, pneumonia is is brought on apparently by stress, like high stress situations. Um, and interestingly, they did photograph or video a UFO hovering just above the cow as it was kind of happening. Very, very strange place. Um, and they've also done um, ground-penetrating radar um, experiments as well. And apparently there's a huge dome structure under the ground as well in Skinwalker mm. Punch. So God knows what's going on there, whether it's a secret UFO base, <laughs> military testing base, who knows. But yeah. yeah, a lot of paranormal well, stuff. Sounds like a place we should all go for a nice holiday <laughs> when the lockdown's over. <laughs> lockdown, um, yeah. So... The, okay. the name the name for Skinwalker Ranch comes from the um, if I get this right um, the um, Native American uh, mm. believed in these these creatures that could uh, that could take on um, shape shifting yeah. and they would it, they would come in forms of uh, human beings or they would become in forms of animals etc and they would take people away so very much that fake connection as well there you know with um, with with a twist if you like. Mm. Mm. Would that be why the name is called Skinwalker? The skin walks on changes. Maybe yes, I'm just, yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Now, when you mentioned these giant beings before, because mm-hmm. uh, most people picture as fairies these tiny little things fluttering about or t- tiny gnomes and things like that, it's not often that you're told about beings of the fairy realm that as as huge as houses and things like that. Yeah. What are they called? Those ones. I have no idea that I mean I, I have tried to communicate with them uh, the two that I've come across um, one was um, a, 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 a guy was being sort of a, a dream haunted if you like by absolutely petrifying petrifying nightmares of, of um, um, teeth it was 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 the main thing um, in his in his dream sequences and he very much felt like there was something more to it. Um, and when I uh, when I was talking to him, I, 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 it was the first time I come across one of these things, and it was uh, a really formidable picture that I was getting. It was this massive, massive thing, and it was kind of billowing smoke. It was kind of is it the Bal? I'm going to get this wrong, and I'm going to be absolutely slaughtered for the Lord of the Rings fans out there. Is it the Balrog? I don't. Balrog. I would, uh, <laughs> Neil, this is your department. No, uh, I. It's the it, Valkyrie. It's the, no. No, it's the one that it's the big beast that um, uh, Gandalf is is fighting down in the in the um, oh the dragon thing uh, yeah I just call it the great big dragony thing yeah yes yeah so it it kind of came as 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 looking very much like that um, we got to the bottom of why it may have happened and it started occurring he used to be an archaeologist and he had uh, been working on some uh, ancient ground in this country um, and he, he he definitely saw the connection between when it had started and, and his work that had taken place on that so these things are from deep in the earth you know they're not your gnomey type to sort of uh, potter around and keep to the first sort of layers these are uh, you know they, they will protect um real sacred sites i've been reading a, a series of books quite recently where they, they kind of touched on that where quarrying sort of releases these things out into the world and it, it kind of spreads darkness and death around it um you know if you don't um if you're not respectful uh to the land when you when you're doing that kind of thing so 
interesting concept. They wouldn't communicate with me at all. Absolutely not. Uh, just uh, acknowledge me in a way of, you know, don't even bother. Um, that is the most polite way that I can put it, really. You know, you don't want the wrath of us anywhere near you. So I kind of very quickly both times backed up. Where, where was this both? You encountered both these beings on the same research night or was it two no, no, separate they, times? Two completely separate times. Um, one did, uh, the second one was um, in, a, um, in a in a property uh, that was investigated by other investigators afterwards. I'd, it was a, one of those really weird circumstances where I'd, I'd come across this couple before, um, before I knew that an investigative team was going to go in and I, I, I go out on, on events with, um, I'm a, a, an events uh, paranormal investigator with uh, ghost finder paranormal society and um i never ever ever uh, tune in on a psychic level it gets too busy uh, when there's when there's lots of people around but i couldn't help it with this couple it was it's it's the only time when i've ever approached somebody and said what is going on with you guys you know right. and i tentatively went up to them and said i'm really sorry uh, uh, I'm, I'm picking up loads around you i said have you, have you got paranormal activity in your home they were like oh yeah we've got loads <laughs> um and i kind of told them what i i, I had been shown and about this repetitive uh, illness that was going off in the house and um you know uh, the the classic uh, knockings and bangings, the poltergeist activity, and and actually this this uh, this being was a, an ancestral uh, attachment that had sort of run down through the family, and because it was in their property and around their property, they had this what was what was termed as a, an infestation of imps, uh, which I quite like that that terminology from from the other paranormal investigators. But its energy was so base low resonating that it just kind of drawn, um, I think other other um you know beings of that that kind of standard towards it and, and was wreaking havoc in this poor couple's home bless them how did they get rid of that um i don't know whether they have i oh i i, I really don't know it's it's uh, it wasn't my baby to catch up on really it wasn't you know to, as a follow-up um uh i, I it was, there's a few bits of correspondence with me about it because um uh, to begin with, um, and I, I handed over my uh, information to to the people who were who were investigating that as a private investigation. So oh, they, they were really sweet about it, though. They were just like, "Oh, we know it happens. It's always happened." And um, um, so they, they were way more chilled out than I would have been in that situation. <laughs> let me tell you, because I, I, I don't think I'd have been that cool about things that were that were going off in the property. So um, they seemed all right till that stage, and it had been going off for years. So I think it was just part and parcel of the life, really. Other mm. people that professionally go round and clear fairies, or kind of like uh, what's the word, pacify, cleanse, cleanse yeah. the house, yeah. pacify you know, them, placate I, them. I, I, in the cleanse sense, I hope not. Clear them, I hope not. I think both those things. I've seen people try to to deal with the fae in the way that they would demonics, and seeing it, uh, you know, at the best they get laughed at. At the worst, it ups ups activity. Uh, the fae don't really understand um, so much what's going off, and just see it as a as a massively disrespectful thing to do to them. It's a tricky one. Um, I'll tell you a little bit of a story. I was writing an article for a magazine uh, about Faye Haunting. Uh, not been published, not been out there, because I got to the end of it and I did the last few paragraphs on simple ways that you could banish them. And 
I got a, a real sharp uh, shock across the bow. Um, and uh, if the incident hadn't have happened in front of witnesses, I don't think I would ever have believed that it, that it actually happened um, um, to me. Oh, yeah. and, uh, uh, so I was I was stood outside talking to a few friends. Um, I felt and heard like I was being rushed from behind. It was it was um, uh, through a thicket of trees, so I heard sort of cracking of uh, a cracking of leaves and branches, and it felt like uh, I had. Um, I sound like a nutter, even more of a nutter when I'm telling this one. Um, and it felt like a bird had got stuck in my hair and was flapping its wings on my hat. And then the next thing I know, I was, I was spitting out soil um, and bits of grit. And um, like I say, if it happened on my own, I would never, ever tell anybody that tale. But there was, uh, I think, six or seven other people stood around who all heard it and saw, um, you know, uh, me spitting out soil, which, you know, is just... And I, I do very much believe that that was a shot across the bows because it was the afternoon when I'd finished that article. And I think it was like, oh, no, you don't. You, don't, <laughs> you know, you don't put that out into the world. So I didn't. <laughs> I went home and went, I'm not doing it. <laughs> you're, you're telling us now. So. I, am t- I am telling you now. <laughs> I am telling you now. But I think it's I, I think that warning wasn't just a warning for me. I think it's a warning for other people that I think for a long, long time we, we have forgotten the fate and we've forgotten how to uh, to be with them. Um, and, and I do think that part of part of my um, sort of uh, paranormal journey is definitely to to re remember um, how to how to be with them, how to live with them, and how to work with them. Um, and, I, and I do find it you know incredibly important, not just in terms of you know a lot of people who work with Faye do it in an environmental way, but um, in all kinds of different ways. Um, I mean, there's loads of research out there about. You know, the Fae work in, in terms of alchemy and witchcraft and, and, and being sort of familiars for, for uh, witches. And it's, you know, all these these beings I feel quite sorry for because they're kind of cast aside never to be worked with again. And um, it'd be nice to revisit that as, as uh, for in the human realm to, to understand them again. Hmm. Now, uh, in my research into the Fae, uh, some of the stuff suggests that they were thought to be once up there with the gods, in quotes, mm-hmm. and they're like fallen gods as such. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that something that you agree with or you've heard of at least? Yeah, I've definitely heard of it. And for me, it very much fits in with my ideas um, through through research with that and the paranormal that um you know the angelics are are part of that realm as well you have those two extremes and um and it's um again it's it's pretty hard because it's quite an emotive subject especially for those who you know have religious beliefs to to understand that uh, um i'm quite comfortable with the terminology of angels um but i believe that they're sort of the 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 kind of the overarching glory of the fae really you know whether you want to call them divas whether you want to call them um angelics or whether you want to call them lesser lesser gods it for me it's all about the end of the day it's about energy levels and that's the kind of the top of the tree uh, for for um pure energy if you like and, and, and brilliant energy um and for me that's how it, it fits in with the kind of concepts of heaven and, and and fallen gods um but yeah i'm not averse to that theory at all and so in the, in the scheme of things, where you, you mentioned earlier, the Fae are just a kind of in the next 
sort of layer of reality to us, close mm-hmm. to the Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but they come back and they interact with the Earth as well, like they, they dip in and out of it. Mm-hmm. Why why do you think they've got a, they feel a, a sense of responsibility to the Earth? I mean, I would have thought, I mean, maybe it's just my thinking, that once you've left the Earth, there's no real responsibility that you've got with it because you're in the next level anyway. I don't think that they've left the earth. I think I think they're just the the other side of a, a net curtain, if you like. Um, and I think it's uh, for me it, the, the the most logical thing is it's they have a symbiotic relationship with with the with the natural world that we live in 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 one way or another, and they get as much out of it as as um, you know the the things that they attend to. So uh, they get an energetic exchange. Say, let's go for a flower fairy because that's um, that's the analogy that always sticks in my head. You know, you've got uh, a fairy looking after a plot of pansies and it gets just as much energy back from that plant as it does from protecting it and, and nurturing it and, and appreciating it. You know, and, and for me, I, I really like that sort of theory about um, about why they kind of interact and why they kind of cross over in and out. And and I think that our world is their world. Um, and I think, uh, you know, uh, their world can be our world too, but we, we, we're just so utterly shut down to that kind of that kind of thinking because it's not logical within our within our world anymore. Hmm. Have you ever heard of dryads as well? Yes, I have heard of dryads. Yeah, yeah. I've got an interesting story if you want to hear it. Oh, love to. Got, um, about five or six minutes before the break, so might as well sort of roll on with this one. Um, about twenty plus years ago, maybe even longer, I was involved in a book. Uh, because I'm an artist and I paint pictures, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this guy, I won't mention his name, uh, who was getting all these artists to uh, do these books on trees, different sorts of trees. He asked each artist to paint their favorite tree, and he was going to write a book about how to work with the trees on a spiritual kind of level. Mm-hmm. And each part of the book would be accompanied by one of our artist's drawings or paintings. So I got to know him and things like that, and I'd go around on these little walks with the author uh, around the trees, and he'd show me all the trees, because I don't really know much about trees myself. But he told me a very interesting story. He said that he had gone on like a workshop or weekend thing somewhere uh, where he met other people, and it's to do with trees and meditations and stuff like that. And there's a guy there from Canada, and he seemed quite, although it was a tree thing, he seemed quite level-headed and down-to-earth and stuff like that. And he got friendly with him, he was talking to him, and he said that he used to go and meditate by his favorite tree every day. Uh, I don't know what sort of tree it was. I'll say it was an oak tree just because that's the only tree I really know. Mm -hmm. And he would sit there and meditate by this oak tree every day. And then one day he couldn't get to this favorite tree to meditate because he was busy uh, and he was at work somewhere. Um, So whilst he was at work, he felt this nagging, nagging feeling that something wasn't right. And he had to literally say to his boss, look, I've got to go. I've got some sort of emergency somewhere. Mm -hmm. I've got to go somewhere. And he just downed his tools and drove all the way back. And he felt drawn to go to his favorite tree that he meditated by. And he went back there and there was his tree sawn down to nothing. It had been chopped down Mm -hmm. and he felt drawn to go back there. But where the stump was, he said he saw this kind of luminous form, if you like, mm-hmm. um, hovering above it, and it telepathically communicated with him to say, thank you for coming back. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to thank you for your friendship, for being my friend all this time, but I've got to go now. Wow. And it conveyed that to him. And then this luminous form 
the dryad, I presume, which is mm -hmm. a spirit of a tree in some people's thinking, then vanished and went away. And uh, that was the end of that, basically. So, um, I, and I'd never heard of this at the time. And then Pocahontas, the Disney movie, came out, and uh, they featured something like that—a a spirit tree talking to this this guy in the in the cartoon film. And I thought, ah, oh, that's reminiscent of that story I heard. So, yeah, dry, dryad. So, and I did read some years later in, in a channeled book by the entity Seth. Regular listeners might know me talking about Seth and Jane Roberts. And in here, he said that trees have this. Um, uh, consciousness, which is obviously very different from humans, but they are living entities of sorts. Mm -hmm. It says that if you walk past a tree every day, and it's the same tree, you know, like on your way to work or school or whatever, it learns to recognize your energy. It learns to recognize your form as you go past it. It knows you're a regular face. Like in the same way you might look out your window and see that same person go on down the street to you know, go a certain route to work or something, you would recognize the face. It will recognize you. It may not recognize the face, but it can recognize your level of energy in some way, which I thought was interesting. Mm. So, um, yeah, so maybe these Fabians, when they're working with nature and trees and things like that, they're not actually working with the physical tree. They could be working with the spirit of the tree. It's mm -hmm. just two cents worth there. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, so, and people tree hugging to kind of like get the energy of the earth and you know the energy of the tree. Well, yeah, I mean trees have many medicinal properties in them anyway. In the barks, there's yeah. bark flower remedies and stuff like that. Aspirin um, comes from willow, I think, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah, and how do we thank them? We chop them down. <laughs> you know, like we are really on the low scale of evolution we should not have made it this far we really shouldn't <laughs> we're yeah. terrible you know we think we're the custodians of the earth and we're just the we're the you know we're, we're spiritual we're, retards the human race spiritually <laughs> retarded yeah yeah i mean no wonder all these fairies are up in arms about us moving their rocks and things like that because they they were here before us you know and <laughs> You get these great big hominid apes that you know, shave themselves, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and you know, all hell's that loose, you know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're drawing to a close here on part one of the show. So, um, we're talking to Kate Ray about fairies or the fae. Is that the correct way we should say it? The fae rather than the fairies, Kate? Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think they actually mind. <laughs> or even is, elementals. Uh, yeah. And the other ones I hear is uh, uh, divas, nature divas or nature yeah. elementals, things like yeah. that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're talking about that. We did touch about this in a previous show uh, about fairies in that kind of connection in our last month's show. So I thought it's really nice to expand upon it and go in a bit more detail. Mm -hmm. Hence us grabbing Kate, who's a, an expert in this uh, more than Andy and I. So uh, join us for part two on the Paranormal Peep Show on the Paranormal UK radio. And we're going to get more into Tinkerbell stuff. So get your magic ones and two to ready and we'll see you in a minute see you later this is Barry Fitzgerald from Ghost Hunters International in my book In the Mist of Gods I explore the world of the fairies or fae this is not the whimsical winged creatures romanticized in modern literature and popular culture, but old world intelligent and sometimes dangerous beings hidden in the tunnels mounds and rafts in countries all over the world Known by many names, the Fae coexist with mankind and at times come in direct contact with unsuspecting people whose lives are changed forever. In the Mystic Gods is a powerful book that chronicles my years of research into the enigma and legend of the Fairy and examines their metamorphosis into the modern-day extraterrestrial phenomenon. 
In the Mist of Gods is available in both soft cover and Kindle format on Amazon and on glanantee.com. Oh, come in, come in. Sit down, relax, and enjoy the show. Well, welcome back to the Paranormal Peep Show, uh, where we're talking on the theme of fairies. And uh, so I just talked about in part one there, the dryad experience, which is uh, a tree spirit, which is an unusual thing in itself to have. Um, Kate, is there any other kind of spirits that we're unaware of that might be like similar things that are out there? I mean, we talk about the fairies. Is there some people talk about spirits of rocks and things like that? Are you aware of anything like that? Uh, yeah, I, I was actually just going to say about uh, rock spirits. That was the first thing that, that sprang to mind after after dryads. I, I think what what I find interesting is that uh, dryads are very much connected to a tree. Um, for me, on an, in, in, an internal level, they sort of reside within that tree. And you also get spirits that kind of uh, have a, a a way of protecting the tree that are around the tree, which tend to form a, a slightly different energy uh, to to the, the spirit of. Um, of a, a, a tree or a rock or even the land, you know. Um, I, I just think that it's it's such a, a there's such a vast plethora of different energies, and I think anything that's um, anything that's natural, anything that's living, anything that's kind of uh, part of the earth um, does have. Uh, some kind of spirit attached to it um, and has spirits around it as well that that uh, that make it sort of um, have a relationship with the spirit and and with the with the thing hmm. do you think so- there's a disproportionate um, amount of hauntings in america um, because I, I say that because america's a fairly new um, country really in in kind of uh, in terms of its civilization growing, um, you know, I mean, we've got castles in England dating back, you know, hundreds of years, whereas mm-hmm. America's got quite new buildings and, and yet they've got quite a lot of hauntings going on and quite a lot of hauntings, even on new properties. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you think that there's some kind of uh, maybe Native American link with either getting fairy folk to guard uh, land? Because I know, I know that... Uh, especially uh it's it's the what is it it's the stereotype of the um the land being or the the house being built on the native american burial grounds mm-hmm. and then you get all the poltergeist activity and the demonic activity because of that mm-hmm. uh, do you think it's because fairy folk were requested to guard these properties or do you think there's a a connection between american fairy folk yeah, definitely. I think it, that's a massive subject and would, would take us hours to really get to the bottom of. I think um, that, I mean, part of it is the, the uh, is in my mind, um, it's a religious connection. So when people, um, uh, when people die and they pass into spirit world, if they pass with with guilt or or, or on, on ease within this world, then uh, they don't seem to pick up a tra- trajectory to be able to um, successfully move on. I mean, you guys know this, um, and I think that that comes with uh, religion as well. So when people have a very clear idea of what's right and what's wrong within a religious context, on point of death, if they're unhappy with with how they've lived their lives, um, and I think that you know we often um, uh, paranormal communities talk about why uh, there isn't as many uh, modern ghosts um, and we do see ghosts within uh, a period 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's set in or, or come across from, from uh, periods gone by. Um, and I do think that there's a, a, a connection with, um, you know, heights in, in uh, religious practice and worshipping. Um, I do think that there is also a connection with those uh, native people, no matter where they're from, whether America or all over the world, that have that uh, very um, easy connection with the, the spirits of the land um, and that they can see uh, that the, there is wrongdoing, you know, that we... Uh, uh, we mentioned it in the first half, you know, that uh, we are these sort of, um, I like to use the term long pigs who sort of bumble around and take <laughs> what we want from the land, you know, and um, we, we don't live in this harmony uh, with our natural surroundings and, and thus, you know, that 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 is going to heighten that situation definitely. But it's, a, it's an absolutely massive topic, you know, with lots of cross links in there. Hmm. Have you seen that film, uh, The Fairy Faith, by um, John Walker at all, Kate? I have, many years ago. Yeah, I've got it on the DVD somewhere stashed away. Yeah, yeah, I, I bought it on DVD. Oh, it must be about 20-plus years ago. Yes, now. yeah. Uh, I'm using a, a couple of those accounts in there in my forthcoming book, which are uh, fascinating accounts, though, that, of uh, the, the various things. I have talked about them on, on the show before. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it's interesting, though, that they go from one place like Canada, where they, 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 they have an encounter by a lakeside. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also talk about fairies braiding the horse's hair, if I recollect yes. correctly. Uh, and, and then they go to um, Ireland, which is very traditional for fairy mm-hmm. things. Why do you think? Uh, that certain countries seem to stand out more with a kind of fairy kind of tradition. For instance, if you talk about Spain or Portugal, mm-hmm. you don't really hear anything fae-like there, not that I'm aware of anyway. But as soon as you mention Ireland, everyone says, oh, the fairies, the Why do you think that is? It seems to be more prevalent in some countries than others. I think, um, again, it's a massive, massive to- topic, but I think there is um, cultural norms that definitely take place in that. Um, and I don't think that these countries are devoid of them. I think what happens is that people genuinely, especially from rural areas, don't talk about it. 
or it could be that those stories haven't filtered down into into mo modern culture in a particularly easy fashion. Um, so it's it, people don't recognise them. I don't think they're you know devoid of, of fairy activity, and it's something that I've considered no matter where I've gone in the world. You know, um, particularly uh, what captivated me was I spent a lot of time to and fro into Tunisia uh, a few years ago, and and the landscape absolutely lends itself to you know to uh, to fae. Um, and I, I picked up while I was over there um, the sort of dryads of olive trees, you know, these really ancient beings that were very, very sleepy living in, in olive trees. Um, but I think if you talk to, you know, generally talk to people, um, if, if you approach people in the right way, they will tell you stories. I, I did a project a, a few years ago um, I was, I'm originally from Shield Forest, from Nottinghamshire, sort of the, the village there. And I, I walked every day um, in, in the woods. And I had a, a little bit of an art project where I'd make tiny little fairy figures, uh, place them up in trees, but only where adults could find them. So my my aim was to get adults playing again. And I would put little notes in these fairies saying, you know, if you find me, move me and, um, you know, uh, and, and, and play, take me home if you want to take me home. And as part, as part of that project, I was actually tracking uh, conversations that I had with people. And I kept bumping into um, this guy who was in his late 50s, early 60s, and it transpired that he was a, an ex-fireman. And um, I was really kind of scared to approach him and ask him about um, ask him about the subject. But one day I sort of, uh, you know, decided that today was the day. Um, and I just said to him, you know, um, I know it's a funny question, but is there anywhere in the woods that you don't like to go? Um, and he straight away said, yeah, there's places in these woods that I don't go. And without me even prompting him, he said, there's some really negative energies. And that wasn't a line I expected out of this guy's mouth. So I think... Um, you know, they, those people who have, you know, if you have an encounter with a with a, a ghost, you know, people tend to go, oh, OK, you've had an encounter with a ghost. If you've seen a UFO, people tend to go, that's a bit strange. You say to people that you've had an encounter with a fairy and they look like they want to lock you up. It's not it's not something that, that people are comfortable in, in sort of telling their stories and, and coming out to to the world about it. It's still seen as, you know, loony bin stuff, really, um, which I think really attributes to it. And if you've got a culture that's, you know, not forthcoming about um, talking about such weird things, you know, we're very very open sort of in in britain and in america about talking about oddities um but there's lots of cultures that aren't you know and a, a lot of countries as well would see it sinful against god to talk about such things yeah but it would seem to rile against their religion mm -hmm. uh, and, and interestingly talked about different cultures and i met a guy on a plane uh, easy jet plane i was flying mm -hmm. to spain and this would be about 15 years ago now, uh, and I was going there with my family, and uh, this guy got on the plane, uh, and I thought he was um, Spanish, mm -hmm. but it turns out he said, oh, I'm from Iran. He said, I prefer to call it Persia. That's the original name for it, but, you know, you can call it Iran because that's mm -hmm. how you might know it. And uh, I said, oh, well, you go there for a holiday? He goes, oh, no, I'm an architect. I'm going out there to check on properties that I've been developing and things. So he said, what do you do? And I said, well, and at the time, he ran a gallery in the Orkney Islands. So I said, oh, I run this art gallery in the Orkney Islands. So it's to do with fairies. And I showed him some artwork on my camera. Mm -hmm. And I started talking about fairy encounters. I even talked about the fairy faith uh, DVD. 
uh, and talked about the uh, the fairy that was cutting the shadow away from the man's feet that was mm. featured in that film. And I said, I think there's a lot more to this world than we admit. And I think scientists are just getting their hand on the door handle of this world, but they haven't quite opened the door yet. But we're just about getting there. And he said, yes, I agree. I agree totally. And then he sort of broke his kind of unwritten rule of not to tell anybody this, but he confided in me. Mm-hmm. And he said, when I was in Iran or Persia, I was conscripted into the army. And I would put this maybe in about the 1980s, but I really wasn't sure of the year, you know, going by his age and stuff. I think he was late 40s at the time, possibly, maybe maybe 50-ish. And um, he said that he was conscripted into the army and him and this army buddy had to patrol the streets of Iran uh, during the night with their guns, just two of them. And he said a sandstorm kicked up, so they both sought shelter and went into this mosque. And as is the custom of mosques, they both took their shoes off and their socks. And he said to, and I'll call this guy Hussein, he said to his buddy, you sit there uh, and lay down and I'll sit next to you and I'll keep an eye out if there's any trouble. But you go to sleep and then in an hour I'll wake you up and you can keep an eye out and I'll have a sleep. And that's the plan for the whole night. So this guy fell asleep and Hussein uh, had his gun with him and he said no matter how hard he tried to stay awake, he kept nodding off and mm-hmm. he kept waking up thinking I must must stay awake and then he kept nodding off again and he goes I must stay awake and he kept waking himself up and he said it happened on the third time he woke up and he was surprised to see that there was a lady crouching down looking at his feet, very intently mm-hmm. looking at his feet. And there was a 12-year-old girl next to this lady looking at his army buddy's feet very intently. And he thought, where the hell have they come from? I didn't hear anyone come in. Mm-hmm. So he said he started pressing with his elbow on the guy's chest. That's his army buddy's chest to try and wake him up. And he wouldn't wake up. And he thought, I don't like the feeling of this. I'm going to get out of here. So he said he started to wrap the strap of the gun around his arm. Mm-hmm. So he said he wouldn't swing as he ran away. Even though he was the guy with the gun, he was the guy that was going to run away. That was the funny thing I found quite amusing. <laughs> and, and then and then at that point, he said, as he was doing that, it must have caught the eye of this woman because she suddenly looked up at him and he said that she looked at me in the eye. And as soon as she looked at me in the eye, I just knew without a doubt she was not of this world. So it just clicked and I knew she wasn't of this world. Mm-hmm. And he said the young girl that was with this woman also stood up They both stood up and they turned and walked away. And he said, as they walked away, he said they, they, he noticed they both had cloven hooved feet and they vanished into the wall of the mosque. And when he told me that, a shiver went down my spine. I thought, oh my God. Mm. And I thought about it and I thought, well, bloody hell, that's amazing because you can see that's why they were staring at their feet intently. Mm. to, To them, wherever they were, they were fascinated by the human feet. Because to them, that was the oddity. Hmm. Whereas to us, their cloven hooved feet is the oddity. But then you think about it even a bit more and you think, well, maybe this is where all these legends of half man, half beasts come from or mm-hmm. fawns and, and pans and things like that. And so, uh, you know, and this was in um, in Iran, in a mosque. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I thought you were actually going to um, go down the lines of uh, Jin then with that mm. story. I've been uh, recently reading. Um, I, I developed uh, temporal epilepsy a few years back. It's, it's uh, an absolutely fascinating, uh, fascinating um, 
fascinating thing that happens. It's uh, it's not a full body; it's just your brain, and it kind of puts you into a state that uh, was actually uh, was believed at, uh, throughout history to be um, an ultimate connection with God. Uh, I was reading a paper that was. Um, uh, research paper that was taking place uh, sort of, uh, I can't remember which Arab country it was um, and it was a recent thing where they went into universities and asked uh, medical students about um, about epilepsy uh, in general but particularly with temporal lobe and, and what they connected it to and they could all cite what the, the medical condition was and how it occurred um, but they all said at the end of it, uh, pretty much it was a really high percentage, something like 86% of them said that they they believed it was gin induced that that it came from the fae uh, that was inducing this um, and specifically uh, epilepsy that that it was induced by the fae so uh, there is that there and i think it's it's how you approach talking to people and um and what angle you take it from uh, that people will start sort of sharing stories and sharing folklore um and, but i just don't think uh you know if you go in feet first and say do you believe in fairies the majority of british people who go no you know, so, uh, uh, you know, it's being culturally aware of who you're asking and how you're asking. Mm. Now, uh, Andy, Simon Parks talks about the, the gin quite a lot, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask, Kate, do you think there's a difference between the gin and the fae? Or, in fact, do you think in other cultures there are fae descriptions that they would label as something else, but you think might actually be fae yourself? Um, yeah, for me, fae just means the other um, it just means another world. It, it, you know, it, it, it includes a lot of things. Uh, in my mind, and I'm going to get absolutely shot down for this, there are lots of things that are cited as fae uh, that in my mind aren't. Mermaids, for instance, are one of them. Um, I, I, I class them as creatures as opposed to uh, as opposed to from fae realm. And I, I am going to get shot down. I'm sorry, fairy world, for, you know, human fairy world for, for saying that. Um but yeah, I think what what happens is, you know, um, as we get animals that are very um, very much linked with with uh, different continents, we we get fae that are uh, very much based in in different areas. Uh, so you'll get different descriptors of of what these beings are, and I think gin definitely are. And these are uh, beings uh, from just from reading, obviously. Um, have not really encountered any um, or it can be um, helpful or not. You know, they, it depends how you interact with them, but they're, they're particularly powerful beings uh, and very, very ancient beings. I think that they probably are more attached to the material world from what I've, what I've read, though, and spend a lot of time within a uh, three-dimensional realm as they do within the fate realm. Mm. So when uh, people think of fairies, they tend to think of tiny little people uh, in general. That's like mm -hmm. the commonplace folk that think of that. But you described this sod in part one as as uh, almost like a mouse, but with man-like features. Was that right? It is, yeah. That's the one. Yeah. So would you say that in the same way that you talked about those larger creatures projecting a bigger image, perhaps as a defense mechanism, mm -hmm. do you think maybe this sod was projecting a human aspect in a sense of way of communicating with you? Or do you think it was just something that that's the way it looked, regardless of your interpretation? I think regardless of my interpretation, that particular encounter, that that was how it saw itself um, because I caught it out. It wasn't it wasn't there willing, you know, it didn't jump out at me and, and uh, or scuttle across the road and was aware that I was there. Um, I think that that's how it thought himself, you know, himself. I think in terms of, of uh, little sort of sylph 
the, the classic fairy that we understand. Um, I think uh, there are a lot of people out there that are, are very blessed to be able to work with and to be able to uh, see either psychically or, or actually um, the, the, uh, the, I would say, the lighter, uh, more positive um side of fairies and if you think about the, the the jobs that they do we very much get the the flower fairy yeah, again springs to mind and i think that they're you know they're the most prevalent if you've got a back garden or you're out in nature because there are billions of flowers so you're going to get a sort of billions of these things fluttering around so um most encounters are these sort of little uh nice energetic uh, beings really that that have these uh, little roles where they're, they're flitting around in the in the natural environment. Um, like I say, I've only I've only ever had one that one encounter uh, with that sylph like uh, character. But I, I I think my role has definitely been defined for me that um, that I try and try and find. I, I tell you what it is. I feel like the job centre for for cast out fae. <laughs> That's what I feel like, you know, that, that I'm, I'm kind of coming across them because I'm trying to educate people that they do need some kind of positive interaction and jobs. Um, and I'm quite sympathetic towards them. So maybe I should relabel myself that. What are they, what are they called in the job centre? Job centre worker for fairies. Mm, facilitator yeah. or something. <laughs> Facil- yeah, that would be good. Facilitator, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so so the, these creatures, they're, they're sort of perhaps helping trees plants that sort of thing mm-hmm. nature they're supporting nature in some way yeah is that because ultimately they're trying to support us or are we just a pain in their butt i think for the majority of the time uh, they're quite happy just going around the business and they don't uh, they don't really uh, recognize us unless we are consciously working with them or against them um, i don't think they do it for us i think they see us um as part of the, the natural ebb and flow of things, whether we're doing right or wrong, uh, they're definitely more attracted to those uh, those of us who are, you know, trying to to work towards a, a better way of living and a, a more natural way of living. Um, and, you know, I think that they would be more more willing to communicate and to, to work with us. Um, I think they just see us as all merging into to the the natural uh, web of things, really. Mm. Do you think that um, the kind of Norwegian and Icelandic trolls are the same things as Fey, or are they kind of? Yeah, I definitely think they're in the Fey families. It's. Um I really do want to do a lot of reading about uh, about that. It's not something that I've I've kind of really focused on because of my own experiences, sort of the UK and and sort of uh, for want of a better word, flitted around um, other sort of cultures. Uh, but the sort of Scandinavian cult, uh, countries have um, have a really beautiful uh, relationship with uh, with their fae. Um, very much believe it, you know, and and um, it doesn't phase them really that you know they put little houses out for. for for, for spirits of um, of the land to sort of live in, and um, they think absolutely nothing of it. Um, and I, I really do genuinely like that about those, those sort of Scandinavian cultures. It's, it's very much matter of fact for them, in, in the same way that gin is very matter of fact for the Middle Eastern people. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I can I can imagine those lands holding, you know, holding uh, trolls and things and uh, <laughs> all kinds of ancient beings. Well, I do know for a fact that obviously the, the Norwegians as Vikings came over to, to, to Britain and, well, parts of Scotland, and they also went over to places like the Shetland Islands and also to Iceland. Now, Iceland's got a very 
kind of uh, strong belief in elemental and fairy things. And I know for a fact that they did have a, a situation some years back where the local council of Reykjavik, I presume, that's the capital of Iceland, um, was trying to construct a road through this particular part of Iceland. And the locals said, you can't do that because mm-hmm. you'll be cutting through a certain rock or a structure or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they said that's inhabited by the XYZ fairy or whatever mm-hmm. it would be out there. Um, and it would bring bad luck. And apparently they had like a, uh, you know, a big kind of uh, signatory thing, you know, uh, protest that we will oppose the council completely. And so eventually the council <laughs> backed down and they had to restructure the road to move away from this particular rock, which was inhabited by the said troll or wherever it may have been. <laughs> so, yeah, I, re- yeah, I remember that story. I, I, that was a few years ago. It was elves. Um, and I think it was... It was um, there were hills that they wanted to go through. They did. They they, they took um, the road many miles out of its way to go round it. And I remember reading that and thinking, you know, that's that's such a beautiful thing to do. You know, it was obviously a, a, a fantastic bit of landscape as well that they, um, you know, that wasn't ruined by this this road churning up and, and going straight through it. So it was a win win situation, really. Mm. Now, we talked about people that have disrupted their homes and upset the fay in some way. They've disrupted the energies. Mm-hmm. Now, we have Maria Wheatley, who was talking about ley lines uh, with us a few months back. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, is there any connection between uh, the fay the, the and ley lines? For instance, you know, uh, if people are digging up their gardens and things like that, it somehow might upset the ley line. Could it be a bit of a misinterpretation? Maybe they're digging up something that's been put there by the fay or a fay energy? Yeah, I think so. I've got a vague recollection that's very, very similar to the road one where um, um, there was a, a diversion. I think it must have been in Ireland. And it wasn't just to do with the fay, it was to do with uh, the, an energetic line that was running through. So the theory is, and again, it's not something that I've experienced firsthand, um, is that, you know, ley lines create uh, the highways and byways on a, on a, a spiritual level energetically for both uh, fay and for um, disincarnate um, energies as well. So, um, you know, again, it's things like rivers and streams can create that. So if you, you know, if you're blocking or stopping those kind of things so you're blocking and stopping an energy um and fade really genuinely don't like that i mean if you've got if you've got a, a line of energy coming through your property and they have used that as a as a highway for for since the dawn of time and you plonk a house there then i think you've got to expect uh, the highways and byways of the spiritual world you know <laughs> coming through your property at all times mm, yeah now it's interesting because um there's lots of over the past 20, 30 years, there's lots of these fairy festivals yeah. springing up around the country, particularly mm-hmm. America. I've been mm-hmm. to a few, a few out there myself selling artwork and also around the UK. Why do you think there's such a, a resurgence of an interest in the fairy world? Well, like you, I, I've I've done I've did many years on the, the circuit of the of the British Fay festivals, and they they are beautiful things. They just such a lovely lovely vibe in terms of festivals. I've been to all kinds of festivals, and fairy festivals have definitely got a a super friendly atmosphere and um, some lovely creative people. But I think um, it's it's to do with. Uh, the resurgence is to do with our, our awareness of the environment and fairies definitely much pay into that, play into that, you know, that we're wanting to get back to uh, a, a way of living that's not so complicated. 
um, and it's more in tune naturally. There's a there's a lot of people wanting that, uh, but it's also that the energy that it brings is a very creative energy. I mean, you yourself know through through your painting and your artwork. I mean, one of the theories is that we gain inspiration out of the blue, and that may be from the fae. You know, um, these uh, sparks of ideas that we we often wonder. You know, where did that come from? You know, it's um, so. I, I I think it's that's that's the basis for it. The backbone of it's the creativity and and the and the love of nature and wanting to get back there. Mm. Um, did you ever go to the Capel Manor one in uh, sort of North London area? I didn't know. I've not been to any of the London ones. I I kind of avoid cities. I'm a bit of a bit of a country country bumpkin at heart. I think that was a really good one. In in fact, although I say North London, it was uh, Capel Manor is actually a horticultural college. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's set in the grounds of a, a big mansion, mm-hmm. uh, really beautiful gardens. Like the whole uh, point of it is is kind of a place for people to learn about gardening and horticulture. Yeah. Uh, but they they used to do this this fay uh, fairy festival. It's fantastic. They had Caribbean music, Caribbean mm-hmm. food. They had uh, lots of arty things. Everything was colourful and rainbows, and mm-hmm. uh, it's absolutely fantastic. I loved it, and I was gutted that they stopped doing it. Um, yeah, I love the fairy festivals, and of course, with lockdown, basically nothing's going on. So I know, I know. Really it's hoping it... something next year will, will will kick off of that nature. Yeah, I, th- I think there'll be lots that will sort of spring up again. Um, there was lots of uh, a couple of years ago. There were lots of. Um, villages that took on the theme I, i'd gone out to a, a few of the what they thought were going to be very very small fairy festivals yeah. um, sort of fairy themed festivals just sort of a you know no payment to get in that kind of thing and i remember going to one i think it was up Chesham way actually it wasn't um it wasn't that far from uh, from uh, aylesbury um and it was absolutely throng. You know, it was, they couldn't handle the numbers. They couldn't handle the amount of cars that were going to it. They couldn't, amount, you know, it was catering was running out. It was, and it wasn't just uh, people taking children. You know, there were adults that were that were fully immersed in it. You know, it was, um, it was, uh, it was quite a quite a spectacular day, really. That the, the day that I went, and I think that's another thing as well. It's um, it's that letting go and that that being able to. I mean, fairy festivals are very big on you know sort of dressing up in in whatever you believe fade to be and it's it's living in that that kind of moment of just enjoyment and that's another thing with the fairy I mean we've just had the solstice gone and you know that idea of being playful and just letting go and 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 dancing and and being in the moment is something that we all desperately desperately need in in today's times and uh the fairy world definitely gives us gives us that option and that opportunity Mm. I once went to a fairy festival in Pennsylvania. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't think which what it, they call it. The I don't know, Glen Rock Fairy Festival, something like that, maybe. Uh, and I remember that it was a three day thing, and I was allowed what they call a booth or a pitch. You know, mm-hmm. over here we call them stalls, mm-hmm. but it's outside. I really don't like doing these things outside <laughs> because the elements are always against you. But it was a lovely set. It was nice, nice river and things like that, but. Um, as it got progressively windier and stuff like that, it was like thinking, oh, I don't know if this is going to really stand this kind of weather of blowing gales and stuff. (laughs) And the next day, we weren't really allowed to take our booths or pitches down. We just had to keep them there. So I'd kind of cover up all my stuff with like a a big uh, velvet blanket type of thing to protect it. Um, And and that was it, basically. And then I'd come in the next day at like 8 o'clock, I was the only person there asking for a cup of tea in the morning. Everyone else was having coffee. It was quite bizarre. 
Uh, I remember the guy saying he was running the, the coffee booth. He says, out of the 20,000 people that I've been serving here, you're the only guy that's been drinking tea. I said, I said I, I'm British, British, dear boy. <laughs> I'm British, dear boy, and I'm wearing a, a fairy kilt. Uh, <laughs> So, so, uh, but um, yeah, half my stuff had blown down this creek, unfortunately, was uh, I was slightly peed off at that. And then um, it got so gusty that part of a tree, I think it must be like a dead piece of branch, that fell onto this poor guy. I didn't actually see it happen, but I kind of heard about it. And they had to go and get an ambulance to, to, to take the guy to hospital. And you kind of think about it retrospectively and thinking, well, what did we piss off the fairies for there? There we are, honoring them, you know, <laughs> celebrating them. And, Nature bit our ass, basically, <laughs> as the Americans might say. So, uh, yeah, it was just a bit of an odd one that this poor guy ended up having to go to hospital, probably obviously having to pay for it as well. You know, yeah. you go out there celebrating fairies, and the fairies are throwing big twigs down on him or something like that. Yeah, I mean, exactly. you can get, get some buggers, though, can't you? Yeah, definitely. And it sounds particularly unfair, seeing as how, you, like you say, you're all there honouring them, and, uh, and there they go, like, throwing something at you. It's... Um, Maybe they wanted to say, actually, we are here. You know, maybe it was one of those, uh, you, you're all celebrating us, but none of it, none of you are actually interacting with us right now, you know. Mm, mm. Now, most fairies, uh, I don't know if they have time scales and things like that, but I remember reading in this uh, book, I think it was Colin Wilson's The Occult or The Paranormal, something like that, Mammoth mm. Book of the Paranormal or Mammoth Book of the Occult. Huge biblical thick book, and I thought, "Wow, I'm going to read this." Hmm. And I remember reading in the very introduction pages. Uh, I don't know if he lives there still, but I remember him saying he went to visit or stay with a lady who was a witch somewhere in Devon, somewhere, mm-hmm. and she said, "Would you like to see a gnome?" Hmm. Uh, and he goes, "Yeah, sure." So she said, "Right, you've got to get up really early next morning, four thirty in the morning." Mm-hmm. And she took him to this place where a stream was somewhere near her house, mm-hmm. presumably countryside dwelling, something like that. And he said he saw this little gnome creature washing his brightly coloured socks. It sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but I, I know you do crazy, so mm-hmm. we're gonna go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> He was washing his brightly coloured socks. I think it's like luminescent green and red, something like that. Uh, washing his socks in this stream, and he'd be wringing them out, this little chap, and then going on his merry way at 4.30 in the morning. So he obviously had an early start. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just very, very uh, strange, isn't it? I mean, this is why I say they have, they have their own time things. They don't get up at the same time as us. They're up at 4.30 in the morning, and the first task they've got to do is wash their socks. <laughs> They've only, think, they've only got one pair. You know. <laughs> I think. I think the thing is with time. Um, uh, I always uh, love the idea of the, the betwixt between. So um, at that time in the morning, you would have it. It's between times, isn't it? So uh, that's when you're meant to be able to see, uh, actually physically see the fate, which is you know early early dawn or at dusk or at certain times in the year. You know, we've had like I say we've had solstice, and that's a magical time when the veil's thin. Then you've got sowing, which you know that's another magical time when the veils are thin as well so uh, maybe it wasn't you know maybe he wasn't particularly best pleased about getting up at that time but maybe that's the time when he was actually in physical form to wash his socks you know <laughs> maybe he was you know quite grumpy about having to do that who knows well you see that's an interesting aspect because you think well hang on why would a, a being that goes on to another dimension have to physically wash their socks but maybe when they come into this world Mm-hmm. They have to come in with all the rubbish that goes with it, and that is dirt and germs and mm-hmm. God knows what else. And they will only come in for a little bit like a deep-sea diver will only go into the ocean for maybe half an hour before his air runs out. They can only dip their toes into our world for a little bit, 
but they they are part of part of the rules and regulations and and of the of our reality, and then they they disappear out of it again. But um, I suppose whilst they're here, they're taking advantage of of the elements, you know, and yeah. maybe. Maybe they do it as a ritual of some sort as well. You know, it's not just literally physically cleaning their socks. Maybe it's there um, as as something to do with the river, the flow of energy of water or something like that. Maybe it's mm-hmm. a symbolic gesture in some way. I don't know. But uh, maybe, maybe it's to do with anchoring their energy within the world, but that they do something that's a mundane task that, that kind of grounds them. And, and, and I, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. It's a really interesting one, you know. And like you say, the energy of the river would definitely contribute to their uh, feeling a part of the landscape and the land. Well, if you think of people like John the Baptist baptizing people in rivers, mm-hmm. uh, anointing them with the power of blessing of God by chucking a load of water on them, and mm-hmm. water's used a lot in these rituals anyway. Mm-hmm. Holy water is meant to be cleansing in some sort of form. So maybe, like I say, there's a sense of ritual or something to do with that. It's not literally just washing his socks, although the perception of the people visiting him might mm-hmm. just see it in that way, but there could be a whole lot more to it. You know, I suspect if we met the met the gnome today and we said, yeah, is it highly symbolic ritual? He goes, nah, I'm just washing my socks. <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah, that's more than likely. That's more yeah. than likely to happen. <laughs> so, so what other weird encounters have you had? Um, so two of them that, are, that I, I can talk to you about um, only sort of transpired that they were uh, fae-related um, sort of as recently, <clears throat> excuse me, as last summer. Uh, when I started uh, reading about modern encounters, although I, I, I do um, understand the rich tapestry that we have in, in folklore and sort of past encounters historically, um, I'm, I'm really interested in, in sort of more modern encounters and, and theories of, of the Fae um, because I didn't, I felt like I was mad for a long time, um, you know, going slightly do lally with it all. Uh, so I was, I was reading one particular encounter, um, and a, a, apparently it's quite a, a regular encounter that people don't. Actually actually attribute to the Fae. Um, most people, when uh, you think about hearing the Fae, you think about hearing song or you think about hearing bells or uh, magical music. Uh, but one of the ways that, that people will know that the Fae are around, and especially this occurs in, in woodlands um, and Sometimes in meadows, I've read accounts of in meadows, but majority of the time is in woodlands, is the sound of uh, a a jumbo swarm of bees, like a a mass swarm of bees, uh, but with absolutely no evidence of any flying insects around. Um, And I, over the last couple of years, probably about three years, uh, going into woodlands, had been baffled by this. So I'd, I'd be walking in woodlands with somebody um, and, and I would genuinely think that we were going to be bombarded by bees making an incredible racket um, and, and feeling like it was feet above my head um, and looking around and thinking there's got to be a swarm somewhere on one of these trees. But the, the telling thing is, whoever I've been walking with and that's occurred, they can't hear it. Um, no matter how I've, I've kind of ranted and raved at them going, please listen hard, you know, how can you not hear that? It's almost deafening. Um, and it's it's a crazy. And when I read that, it was like, oh, that's what it is. And the, the, the theories behind it are that... Um, when you start, it's like with, with any kind of, uh, you know, up in your psychic ability, when you start um, 
recognizing things you know whether it be spirit or whether it be be fey you start sort of putting out a, a different light into the world and you, you become a beacon and then these things become really attracted to all oh, that person you know that, that you, you're obviously shining some kind of different light when you when you're out in these environments um that must have happened over the last few years probably four or five times where it's um and every time, like I say, I've looked like a complete nutter to, to a friend who I've been walking with going, please tell me you've heard that, you know. So um, that that was one of them. Uh, another, you, Go on, sorry, Andy. I was going to say, have you heard of any kind of fey interactions within uh, completely unnatural settings, like maybe in a school or a hospital or office blocks or anything like that? Yeah, um, quite a lot. And I think intriguingly, uh, over the last year, the, the paranormal community have really picked up on this and are, are, are quite warm into the fact that not everything that they encounter while they're out on investigation is um, of a human nature or, or, or demonic nature. Um, the, 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 there is a slow uh, resurgence into interest in it. Um, and I have had a, a, quite a lot of paranormal investigators say, you know, um, what they've encountered doesn't fit the boxes anymore. Mm. Um, and they're starting to see things very, very differently and sort of open their minds to what's going off. So, yeah, very much in, in um, urban environments. I mean, I've, there's even accounts of people um, having uh, really beautiful encounters in urban environments where people have really tried to make small spaces very beautiful. So they've had, you know, a flower box that they really loved uh you know tending to because it's their only bit of sort of garden space that they have and they've had you know small encounters of, of a fey nature so i don't think it's particularly restricted to um uh, wild natural environments i think you know the planet's the planet's the planet isn't it so i think that they do go um they do go all over i'm intrigued what you said that it um people in the paranormal it doesn't tick the boxes anymore can you elaborate on that I think people are, are are kind of starting to um to I think one of the things is with with the there has been an advancement in in um, technologies that people take out with them on paranormal investigations um yeah. uh, the, and there's a lot more uh, investigators I think uh, especially within England it, it's it's quite a popular thing to happen um and things like uh, even electronic voice phenomena where people um record uh, spirit voices on uh, different devices um it, 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 that's actually coming back with things that um, are not particularly human but don't fit within the demonic category either so oh, uh, explain because i've not come across this because so far with evps and uh, spirit boxes i've heard human voices and demonic growls yeah. what have you heard that's kind of not those things so um there has been uh, there has been terminology that's come through that's been very fey so um you know the question asked uh, who are you and uh, the answer back's pixie and that's come back <laughs> on more than one occasion you know yeah. i mean you do have to question yourself is it something you know i i'm always really skeptical but not of the evidence i'm always really skeptical of you know if i'm a ghost and i'm a bit bored i'm, I'm kind of going to have some fun you know i'm gonna yeah. I'm, I'm gonna play along with it so there's always that there but there, there is um particular kind of pictures whistles um crackles um sort of singing voices that don't really fit the the, the norm within the evp uh similarly similarly there uh, with um oh i can't i've lost what it's called the, the screen with the stick man 
it'll come to me. Where you sort of point the camera. I can't believe I can't remember oh, this. Oh yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you basically you you filming, but what it's what it's picking up on, um, it's like a, a, a Nintendo Connect type thing where it yeah. will pick, pick up on different shapes and show it in a stick figure That's... form. So what's happening with that is there is a, a there are a lot of. Um, uh, snippets of evidence of people going out and picking up uh, beans that are either incredibly small, um, mm. incredibly misshaped, or incredibly tall. And I know, again, this is uh, down to interpretation. Of I've, I've seen these devices, you know, uh, pick up uh, a chair leg and then pick up a bit of a curtain, and it kind of maps something out. Uh, but there has been incidents where I have been around uh, these devices, and and there is no real explanation. And there's other things that that come along that kind of back up that evidence you know uh, temperature drops that kind of thing dvps direct voice phenomena that goes off at the same time as well so um i don't know why people are opening up more to it um i do love the fact that people are opening up more to it i think ultimately it, it can only be a good thing i think a lot of the time when people struggle with paranormal activity um they don't want it they don't want uh, their house being sort of sabotaged um, and them being sabotaged and they want a way to be able to uh, live in harmony again and the more that we can recognize that um, you know, there may be other things at play and they, we deal with, we have to deal with them very differently to, to spirit. Um, I think the more we're going to be productive in helping people and helping, you know, not just spirit, but Faye, you know, we've always got to see that um, side of it as well. So, yeah, I think I think it's definitely a positive shift forward. I've always had a theory that um, the the mythology around fae or especially fairies is these kind of tiny little tinkerbells flittering about. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always kind of like wondered, well, within the paranormal community, people are seeing orbs all the time, mm-hmm. little fluffy kind of, you know, bits of light flickering here, there and everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if, you know, going way, way back, Middle Ages or even before then, maybe people were seeing orbs, these little kind of like wisps of light and these little flicks of light and kind of like just creating the mythology of theory, fairies around that. But of course, they are a real thing. They do exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, there's there's the um, there's the marsh lights, you know, willow the wisp, um, yeah. that, that that's got a very you know fae type of, of name. And and prior to the word uh, poltergeist, historically those kind of activities in the house would have been put down to a house brownie or something uh, of those lights that that needs to be appeased. So you know, door slamming, things being thrown around, objects being balanced would not have been called a poltergeist because that terminology and that theory was not in existence. Mm. So a lot of things that do go on uh, that are outside seeing an actual ghost weren't attributed to spirit they were attributed to fae um and it's only you know i would say just past the the victorian era that we start you know with the rise of spiritualism that we that we start uh, thinking that everything is is to do with uh, human human spirit energy when, when do you think we're living in cool. <laughs> Carol, Andy. Well, when did uh, the terminology of poltergeist actually come into the vernacular I don't know exactly. I can't. I, I know it's definitely a, a, a modern term. Um, I don't know. I, I would take a plump at probably the 1930s, but that is an absolute stab in the dark. But um, noisy I, I, ghost is it, is it German for noisy? Yes, ghost? it's noisy ghost. Yeah, yeah, it means noisy ghost. Yeah. So 
Well, I'd imagine it's interesting why the, the term came from Germany uh, rather than anywhere else. So maybe uh, they were investigating them or had problems with them anyway. But uh, Germany being like right next to the Scandinavian countries anyway, where they have a strong belief in these things, maybe they're uh, more in tune with that thing than we were over here sort of thing. Mm. Um, what was the other encounter you had, Kate, or have I have we we covered those? I'm not sure. Um, I, I think there's the last one again. Um, it, it didn't come to light until um, I'd, I've been doing some modern research into into fate, and it's um, I think it's the one that probably makes me sound like a crackpot above all others you know it's um it's a it's a real lunatic story but i had friends who lived in in rotterdam and i've been doing a lot of traveling backwards and forwards over a couple of years while they were spending time out there i did a lot of uh, traveling on my own on an airplane and and you know it's a short journey it's not a bad journey um and one particular time i was i was uh, coming back on the plane and i think we were probably at the the, the highest we could go for that that flight and um i something caught my eye out the window it was a it was a very clear middle of the day we're above the clouds um and i i originally thought that this was some kind of um you know when you get floaters in your eyes and you mm. get that kind of that kind of shape this thing had it was transparent um but, uh, you could see through it, but it, it was um, it was literally just a a, a trail and then a, a, a sort of a, a darker grey, what I would assume is a head. And I, I and I did watch it, and then I, I realised it wasn't it wasn't an optical thing that was playing on on you know on my actual physical eye. Um, and I ruled out the fact that it was nothing on the window. And and I watched this thing. It must have been a good probably between eight and ten minutes, and it was. A long distance away and it was sort of going up and down in patterns and sort of it was it looked like it was swimming and it wasn't until the plane went by it that I realized the the hugeness of this thing and it was it must have been the length of three three planes from what I could gather from the distance and I was in one of those there's no way this is happening there's no way I'm seeing this <laughs> thing moment so I'm looking around to the person who's next to me sat next to me and they're asleep so I turned round to the guy who was behind me who also had a window seat. And all I said to him was, can you see that? And he just went, yeah. And that was it. <laughs> Nothing else was ever said. Um, and I, I never really understood that, what that was. Um, I'm not that affair with um, uh, sort of UFO um, stuff and, and ufology. And reading that book, there was a description in it that I was just... I was so pleased that I found it because it was it, the, the description was, and it was under the heading of dragons. And to me, instantly, this encounter that this other person had had was very, very similar. Um, and I just thought, yes, that is dragon energy, you know. And we do see, you know, dragons again sort of going to the realms of, of creatures and outside the realms of fae. And then here it is. It's that energetic being. You know, it's not something that's solid form. It's got no scales. It's got no defined face. There's no fire. There's no gold. It's just this thing that's in the air. And it's this collective energy within the air. So, yeah, like I say, I think that's probably the, the top of the list of the, of the, the mad encounters that wow. i've had it reminds me a bit of uh, trevor james constable I don't know if you're familiar with that name at all no no okay he was a guy that was um i think he was from new zealand if memory serves me correct but in the mm -hmm. 1960s and 70s could have been the 1950s he was out in the various deserts 
with infrared film or filters over his camera photographing what he was saying biological entities in the sky mm-hmm. that only when he was you know using the red filter or something he would pick them up mm-hmm. and he said that other people there photographing the same things and even people i think a separate load of researchers were kind of discovering the same thing and i think it might have been from portugal if memory serves me correct we had a chap called nick hayes he's, he's actually been on the paranormal uk radio network talking mm-hmm. to other uh show hosts about his research but i've i've, I've met nick quite a few times now uh, and he's done similar research he's taken where trevor james constable left it a little bit obviously he left it in the world of film and Nick has had a specially adaptable camera, a uh, digital camera, uh, which he's been filming strange critters or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. flying over his house in Oxfordshire. Wow. Uh, some, ooh, what was that? Sorry, my dog. Oh, okay, the dog's back. Okay, yeah, the dog's well, back. The shape-shifting werewolf is back. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, strange critters uh, are being sighted above his house mm-hmm. and... Uh, Straight, you know, uh, it, they can only be photographed, and I think Nick was photographing in the ultraviolet and also the infrared as well. Wow. So, what you're suggesting you saw at the window, and it was spotted by the guy behind you, mm-hmm. you might have possibly, because you're a high altitude, maybe. Uh, I know, I do know that when you fly higher in the sky, you're more exposed to radiation. Mm-hmm. Because it's not getting filtered through our atmosphere or something, so you're more actually your pilots, especially because they're flying day in day out, are actually getting more toxic radiation poisoning than say me or you. Mm-hmm. But um, it's possible that you might have encountered something like what Nick and Trevor James Constable had been seeing wow. or photographing, uh, and and it could be just the the right time of day. You happen to catch a faint glimpse of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe if you had an infrared camera or an ultraviolet camera, you might have picked up more of it, perhaps. Uh, it oh. could be these things could be attracted to the pl- planes and they fly along with them. You know, maybe mm. they're trying to mate with them or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what were their theories about what it, what it is? You, did, they, did they discuss that? Well, I mean, obviously a lot of people are trying to shoot them down over it. But basically, <laughs> yeah. uh, they were basically coming up with uh, ideas that these uh, biological ufos if you like now i know people associate ufos with aluminium flying machines or something like that you know but they're saying that these particular unidentified flying objects are biological entities that seem to inhabit our world Mm -hmm. outside of our range of frequency of perception uh and so therefore you need certain gadgets and gizmos to see them uh, and they, they, you know, you have to filter it through the wave of light because remember, obviously, uh, you would know this anyway. But you know, for people that don't, we we only see a small spectrum of the wavelength, um, you know, and there's many more spectrums of infrared, gamma, uh, ultraviolet, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, of various forms of light. I mean, one scientist said, "It's picture yourself as uh, the the whole." Sp- the whole matter of the universe and the spectrum of the universe, we are just one thick, sorry, thin slither of paint mm-hmm. on the floor. And this universe is a sky rise skyscraper of different floors. And our perception is literally just a thin sliver of paint in that analogy. So there's many more floors of this skyscraper of reality. And occasionally we can picture someone walking around our floor, or occasionally we might see someone through the doorway. Yeah and, and, yeah, and and that's possibly what Trevor James Constable and Nick Hayes and others 
are capturing and people like yourselves are capturing EVPs uh, and seeing certain things. And uh, either they're biological, but they seem to inhabit or co-inhabit our world to a certain frequency. And like you say, they're much closer. So maybe fairies or the fey kingdom are within those realms as, as well. Mm. I mean, Nick, Nick has photographed not just creatures floating in the sky. He's photographed things sitting in his shed and stuff like that. Wow. Neil, have you seen that um, program with Danny Dyer, um, that UFO one? Yes, yes. Now, he, at the very end, he was pretty gobsmacked, and I, I think the group he was with were pretty gobsmacked because he went out in the desert in America. Again, it's always America for some reason. Um, but they looked with the naked eye, and they couldn't really see much. They got out their infrared cameras, and That's suddenly right. they saw all these things whizzing around all over the sky and yeah. even kind of like slowly going into a mountain at one point. Yeah, flying triangles and everything. That's yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, and he was fucking out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Diamond, so, mate. Diamond. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's nice to send a Cockney East Ender out there to America <laughs> to investigate UFOs. It kind of really sets the palette and tone of our investigations over here. You know? <laughs> oh, what do they think we are? You know. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so basically, yeah. Uh, so there could be stuff flying over our heads all the time, and we're mm-hmm. just not aware of it uh, and it's like ghosts you know spirits can see us but we can't see them mm-hmm. uh, and and so um yeah what you saw on that flight suggests to me because you're a certain height anyway that they, these things were maybe in the upper atmosphere trevor james constable this pioneer of this research he certainly suggested that these things were mostly in the other upper atmosphere but occasionally they could be drawn down using something like a what they call a cloud buster Okay. which was uh, a, a tube-like thing that if you pointed it up at clouds, for some reason, clouds would be drawn to this tube. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying it's sucked into it, but for some reason, it, uh, uh, William Heinemann, name of Cloudbuster, the guy that invented it. Uh, um, but why Why you'd want to invent a Cloudbuster, I don't know, to bust clouds, I don't know. But this, this guy invented it. And if you think of a, a large cannon type of structure, but maybe lots of different tubes coming away, it looks like something out of a Star Wars type of contraption. <laughs> but, you know, it, Nick was using this same contraption. He built his Cloud Buster out of a, uh, I think it was a discarded drain pipe or something, and he had cut them all off to different lengths. <laughs> and then he had pointed at a degree of 45, uh, 45 degrees, pointing up at the sky, and this would somehow draw these entities to come and investigate the cloudbuster. It's a bit like they were curious. So he wasn't there really cloudbusting or trying to make the rain happen or anything like that. He just set this up merely as as bait, if you like, you know, <laughs> chum for a shark or whatever. And and then these things would come through, and he would spend all day photographing these things on his video camera. And the thing is, he started to get followed and investigated because of what he was doing. People started to sort of. Uh, um, for instance, his camera was held up at customs in America because he had to send his camera away to get uh, tweaked and that so that it would register ultraviolet and infrared. Um, and it was held up in customs. They wanted to know why he was doing it. They maybe thought he was a spy or they wanted to know what he was filming. You know, what's all this weird stuff you're filming type thing. Um, it, they, they still might be observing him. I don't know. But um it's an interesting thing. I just thought I'd mention it because it kind of tied in what you experienced there. So, again, yeah. you know, this whole world of fae could extend into these things that have been seen in the, the desert by Trevor James Constable. You know, we mm-hmm. talk about that these things are probably in the woods, but, hey, they might be in the desert as well. We just don't know. And even above the sea, who knows? They could be yeah. above the sea. 
you mentioned mermaids and you say they're not part of the fairy kingdom. Uh, For me, they're not. No, I, I, like I say, I, I apologise to the rest of the the, fae, the human fae community for that. But, yeah. They, are, we they, they, are we discounting Nessie as well, I take it? Oh, bless. No, I don't think Nessie's fae. <laughs> <laughs> She's famous. Famous, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, where do you go next? What's your next project on your agenda? Um, I am going to be starting to do in uh, some small podcasts, particularly around Faye, um, talking to different people from different angles. So um, I'm, I'm looking at people at the moment, um, inviting people in for uh, just sort of half hour chats about it, really, because it's something that I want to um expand out into into different areas just to get people aware in the paranormal community particularly uh, it's interesting that you were saying about the cloud busting equipment uh what what always comes to my mind is you know we have a plethora of uh, equipment when it comes to the paranormal world are, uh, are we missing a trick with the fae world you know are, are we missing you know looking at equipment that we could actually go uh, fairy hunting with which uh, i think would be a, a particularly cool title to have as a fairy hunter um, <laughs> and i'm wondering you know if, if drain pipes can attract dragons then what can we do to attract the fae well, maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe after the end of every kind of a cloud busting session, you, you tip it out and then like 10 fairies <laughs> drop out of it yeah. into jars that you sell in Glastonbury. Well. I reckon yeah. glitter, glitter will attract them. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, any books or any other things you got? Any appearances maybe? I mean, after lockdown is over, is there any projected appearances you hope to do? So uh, there was lots of things on the agenda this year that unfortunately haven't t- uh, taken place. Um, I was meant to be talking at a, a couple of conventions, um, and of course with the, with the lockdown that hasn't happened. Uh, as part of my work with the, the with the Ghost Founded Paranormal Society, you know we had lots of things planned. They they've all been on hold, which is a shame. Um, I have got a, a, a what I've recently entitled a Mirandering Journal um, on the go um, that, that's kind of going to be uh, sort of the, all the weird and wonderful accounts um, that I've experienced. Um, yeah, so that that's still definitely in the pipeline. I was asked on Friday on another American podcast, they were desperate for me for, to, to write a book. And I said, you know, you're going to have to give me a bit of time. <laughs> time on that one you know i haven't got a book book out already um i've, I've done bits and bobs of writing for haunted magazine which is a, a really good british uh, paranormal uh, magazine that comes out with lots of different writers from from the field within that so but yeah i'm, I'm kind of I, I, I after lockdown i'm i'm always curious about um about what's out there and what, what to experience and uh, and anybody who uh if you fancies collaborating or, or going out and doing stuff, then uh, I am a, a curious person for and, and up for most things within the okay. paranormal realm. Okay, and how can people contact you? So I'm, I'm on Facebook, uh, Twitter and Instagram. And uh, if you type in Kate Hair Girl, as in Bunny Rabbit Girl, uh, but not Bunny Rabbit, but as in hair, um, Ray, uh, then I come straight up. Okay, so you're looking maybe for potential leads, information, collaborations, uh, research projects, that kind of thing, and and obviously invites to America and all the lovely tours that you could do there. And that'd uh, be perfect. (laughs) And any cloud busting workshops will be on the periphery, but uh, yes, definitely. And fairy hunting, I might, I might just go out fairy hunting. But but no more flights to Rotterdam or Amsterdam, and uh... (laughs) unfortunately not. No. No, unfortunately, you know, it's with that particular story, people go, oh, did you go through Amsterdam to, you know, to get the flight back? And then they raise an eyebrow on that. And it's like, it wasn't that kind of trip. 
Actually, the, the interesting thing that skeptics would point out just before we draw to a close, because you mentioned interestingly about the uh, epilepsy, the temporal lobe epilepsy, yeah. and um, it, it, it doesn't cause a fit as such, but it sends you into a bit of a trance-like state, I'd imagine. Yes. Yeah. Um, would a lot of skeptics or a lot of people that are, are saying, "Well, you're seeing these things because of your temporal lobe epilepsy," what would you say to that? I'll say absolutely. I think that's a massive part of it, but I don't think um, that's something that discounts the validity of it. Um, I mean, it's a weird and wonderful thing, and it's it's something that's very difficult to describe, but one of the ways that I described having those uh, seizures when they first started happening was like living in a a 2D reality where you could touch the sky. You know, it had that very kind of, um, I would say, trippy trippy kind of quality to it. Um, I think the thing for me is I think that probably... One of the theories is that if uh, it is a theory and it's one that I've come across, it's called ascension sickness. If you if you kind of, you know, start really working hard at sort of um, spiritual and psychic work, it can be something that your mind actually gets blown by it. So there's that that side of it as well. And I think it probably did open a lot more doors for me going through that. It's absolutely medicated under control and has been um, uh, for for quite a fair few years now. it's the verification that I get after it. It's the verification where I'm feeding back information to people who um, I couldn't have got that information from anywhere else other than, um, you know, from from that sort of uh, psychic arena, really. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, people can be sceptical about it. I I do have a feeling that it has got spiritual links. What that is, I, I really don't know. Um, but I'm very aware of the effects that it, it that it can have, um, and how that would lead to people sort of discounting or maybe disbelieving um, some of the things that have come from that. I guess it's a case of people uh, when they see it, they believe it, kind of thing. You know, they, they can poo-poo it, but if, it, mm-hmm. if they're confronted by it in their life, then there's not much they can do. Definitely. That's it. That's it, absolutely. Right, I think that's it, ladies and gents. So uh, thank you, Kate, for uh, joining us on the Paranormal Peep Show on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. Andy, any last words? Um, Just can't wait for the lockdown to end. I want to get back to life. I want to go on my ghost walks and my ghost hunts. and my. uh, There was one... um, particular one that was uh, being planned with Kate actually mm-hmm. at uh, an old school in uh, Hitchin mm-hmm. uh, a very kind of Victorian haunted school that's been put on hold so thanks a lot coronavirus for that <laughs> so hopefully Kate I might be able to see you maybe in the new year um, I think happen for this year well fingers crossed let's put out the hope there that we'll get back to it before then yeah, yeah. so long as the ghosts keep two meters apart you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you very much indeed everyone for listening uh, and join us next time on the paranormal peep show stay safe stay two meters apart and keep away from the fade okay yeah. cheers everyone good night See you later. bye-bye bye-bye Thank you.